Welcome to the Craft of Coaching podcast, where you'll learn about how to become a life coach with a strong skill set through understanding the craft of coaching. I'm Kate Swoboda. As director of a life coach training and certification program called the Courageous Living Coach Certification, I'm passionate about the craft of coaching and how we evolve our skills and the industry. Learn more about the Courageous Living Coach Certification Program at teamclcc.com. That's T-E-A-M-C-L-C-C dot com. And here's today's episode. Hey there, everybody. This is Kate, and I am so excited to be kicking off Season 3 of the Craft of Coaching Podcast. What? That's true. Here we go. If you haven't already heard... Um, All of the episodes from season one and season two, you can find all of those in iTunes. Uh, While you're over in iTunes, we would so, so appreciate it if you would offer us a review because that's something that helps this podcast to be more visible to other people. And I've got a really great topic to kick off season three, and it is the topic of coaching and ethics. So what does ethical behavior look like in the coaching industry? So first, I'll just go ahead and address the elephant in the room, which is this ongoing question that people have brought up, rightfully so, are coaches qualified to do the work that they do? And there's another Craft of Coaching episode that's all about certification, That episode gets into some of what I'm going to talk about today, but today I'm going to be doing a deeper dive into what sorts of things coaches actually are not really qualified to work with people on. I feel like this is something that needs to be said. So before I get into that, um, one thing that I'd like to highlight is the role that dogma can play. And dogma is like this adherence to a belief system or a way of doing things that gets really narrow-minded, really close-minded, and you stop looking outside of that narrow scope. People can get so attached to dogma that they, they don't even realize that it's actually limiting them instead of helping them to grow. I have this piece that I wrote over at my website, yourcourageouslife.com. And the full URL is yourcourageouslife.com, ditch-your-dogma. And I'm going to read to you from this piece that I wrote. Most people I've met who are doing some kind of self-help work will hit on something for them that really resonates. And then they declare, I tried so many other things, and this is what really works. They think they've found the holy grail of self-help. They become evangelists for it. Sometimes a shadow self emerges that starts to denigrate other forms of personal work, scoffing at it as if being some scoffing at that work as being somehow behind the times or incomplete. And many coaches have this attitude towards therapy. So I'll pause real quick from this piece that I wrote and just explain that a little bit. There are some coaches who put down therapy and therapists as if that work doesn't have value or it's so behind the times that nobody needs it. And that's part of the dogma that I'm talking about in this piece. I think that's a dangerous attitude because just as much as I will be an advocate for coaching and say coaching has its place, therapy does too. 
and having a certain level of training to work with people has its place, no matter what you're in, coaching or therapy. And you do need to know when it's imperative that you refer clients to somebody who is the most qualified practitioner to work with their particular set of life challenges. So back to this piece, ditch your dogma. I've done this too. It's sheer arrogance and ego that has anyone think that they've found the thing that is the best thing that should be what everyone does. And ego is always driven by an insecure need to reassert its specialness. It's only through time and wisdom that we come to learn that there is no holy grail, air quotes, of self-help. There's actually no holy grail of anything. All paths lead to one, and each process was a stepping stone to another. The years spent doing therapy, while you might not have had your official breakthrough at that time, probably gave you foundational ways of looking at yourself through a different lens or receiving compassion differently than you ever did from your family of origin. Or maybe that time spent meditating with that group gave you tools for assessing your body or accessing your inner world. And the time spent doing somatic release probably helped you to, well, release some pent-up stuff that was, that was stuck. And if you have your big aha while doing work that's more cognitive behavioral, that doesn't mean that cognitive behavioral work is better. Wherever you have your aha, it doesn't mean that the work is better. It means that all those roads fed together in the intricate dance of who you are as a human being and nourished the different parts of you in different ways. And one day, all of it came together to be incredibly resonant for you. As soon as you get caught up in having found the answer and evangelizing for it, you've officially become caught in dogma. Dogma always enters your life pretending you are its master when really it is just laid down the slickest little rule book for how you have to live your life. And no one flourishes under the influence of dogma. So a big place in coaching where I have seen the dogma train come rolling in in more recent years is around coaching populations of people who are struggling with things that, at least at the beginning of coaching becoming an industry, it was always very clear that this was the work that was really in the purview of therapy. In particular, in recent years, I've seen more and more coaches try to do coaching for eating disorders, do coaching for serious chronic depression or anxiety and disturbingly to do coaching for trauma, for people who have been suffering from longstanding trauma due to past traumatic experiences such as sexual abuse, to people who have acute PTSD. PTSD stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. And this is something that when I first started to see coaches coming out saying, I can help heal people of this or that thing, or I can offer coaching of this or that thing, I found that something within me was kind of like, huh, but what if, but what if this practitioner actually inadvertently does more damage to the client that they're working with? 
And what if that practitioner doesn't even know that they're doing something harmful? Because unlike a therapist, coaches don't have oversight from any kind of an organization. Coaches don't have thousands and thousands of hours that they accrue working with a specific population of people that is also overseen by somebody who has significant years of experience and oversight through an organization. When a therapist gets licensed, that therapist completes two years of a curriculum, at least two years. I mean, I, I suppose someone could get it done faster than two years, but it, it's likely going to be two years of a curriculum that is an advanced education curriculum that is approved by the state and by licensing boards. Upon finishing that, for instance, master's in counseling, a therapist would then get what's called an MFT internship, marriage and family therapist internship, where he or she would then work with people, real people, real clients, for 3,000 hours. And you have a certain amount of time to complete those hours. You would, those hours would also be overseen by other licensed therapists or psychologists, practitioners who, again, went through years of training, completed thousands of hours of work with someone, and, of course, obtained licensure. And then that same uh, therapist in training would then sit for an exam. And that therapist in training would also be required to go complete additional continuing education every couple of years that was also overseen by more people who have experience, who have licensure. Now, there are problems with this system. There's no system that's perfect, and there are definitely problems that arise within the psychotherapeutic industry. And there are definitely, even, even with all those hoops to jump through, there are stories that I've heard of and stories I've read about of therapists who were not actually very um, ethical people. They were, they weren't behaving ethically. But even with all that, there are some benefits that someone purporting to be a trauma coach or an alcoholic recovery coach won't have in their repertoire. And the big thing that I see that that person would not have or those coaches would not have is oversight. And I think that there is a really sticky and very disconcerting ethical boundary that is getting crossed by some coaches who are basically going into the wider world and marketing themselves as being able to help people heal from very serious experiences. Now, the argument could be made that really the proof is in the pudding. That if the, those coaches who are doing, I don't know, you know, alcohol and drug coaching, you know, things of that nature, that if their clients are stepping forward and saying, hey, this coach helped me more than therapy ever helped me. Hey, I really feel like my life is better because of this coach. There are some who would say, hey, the, the proof is in the pudding, the clients are happy, that's all that matters. But what concerns me is when I hear about the other stories. The stories of the clients who weren't helped by that particular coach. The stories of the coaches who crossed serious ethical boundaries. Coaches who perhaps got enmeshed in their relationships with their clients. And there was, again, in coaching, no oversight of that relationship becoming compl complicated by things like sexual intimacy 
And yes, I have heard stories of coaches crossing those lines. And when those stories happen, when you, when I've heard them directly from coaches who purported to be a specific kind of coach, a trauma coach or a drug and alcohol recovery coach or this or that or the other, when those coaches tell those stories, the unfortunate thing is that that's never on their sales pages. And there's no licensing board that's making sure that those coaches don't continue to go out into the world and possibly harm clients by crossing boundaries or by being ill-prepared for the sorts of things that clients might bring to a session. That's what's of biggest concern to me. Because as much as I will advocate for coaching, as much as I see instances where it is very misunderstood, I think it's important that all of us as coaches really truly do understand that there are challenges that people face in their lives that are so intricate and so complex and that can have such long-lasting effects that somebody who has had maybe six months of coach training is not the person who should be helping them with that. I've heard stories of trauma coaches who have only had maybe six to nine months worth of training going out there and basically saying, like, I'm going to help you heal your trauma. Well, that, that's a concern. Let's be really real. It actually does take time and experience to really do powerful, masterful work with anyone, whether you want to call what you do coaching or whether you want to do what you call therapy. It actually takes time. It takes mentorship. It takes oversight because there are mistakes that are going to be made, whether someone's becoming a coach or someone's becoming a therapist. This is actually one of the things that happens for, for, for instance, a marriage and family therapist intern who's working at an organization. That intern meets with someone who is mentoring them. And when they get stuck in something that's happening during client sessions, they can draw in their mentor or they have access to a lot of colleagues. Somebody who goes, I've had a couple months of training in drug and alcohol coaching, and so now I'm going to help you heal your chemical addiction, call me. They don't have that same kind of insight. And particularly for situations like trauma, when somebody um, has experienced a serious trauma, they often can be re-stimulated around that trauma, and they can go into a pattern of freeze, fight, or flight. There are very serious neurological, psychological fallouts that can happen from somebody being re-traumatized and re-stimulated around an old wound. This is not something that you just kind of throw around and go, hey, it'll be great and we're going to like be our authentic selves and ditch our trauma or ditch our drug and alcohol habit. This is actually somebody's life. And I am a, a staunch advocate for the power of coaching. I work with a coach. I teach all about coaching through the Courageous Living Coach Certification. And I'm really aware and teach all of the participants of our program to be really aware of basically staying in your lane. There is a way in which mental health or behavioral health or the psychology of what it means to be human really needs an overhaul because there are people who don't have a qualifiable diagnosis who do very much need help 
working through their emotions, working through life's challenges. And I think that coaching can be of help for a lot of those people. And then there are other people, not people who are bad, not people who should be stigmatized, but people who actually deserve something far, far better than working with someone who's hanging out a shingle without really having adequate experience. So there is, in fact, an ethical line that we as coaches need to pay attention to. It matters. And one of the things that we teach in the Courageous Living Coach Certification is when to refer out to people. It would be enormously helpful if the Board of Behavioral Sciences and, say, the International Coach Federation would all get together and really map out guidelines for therapists and for coaches so that everybody would know when it's best to refer out. Here are the signs that somebody really needs therapy more than coaching. That would make life a lot easier for everybody. But we don't have that right now. So I think that, at the very least, Here's what we do have. When someone is struggling with something that could cause their life to hang in the balance, you know, drugs, a serious overdose, because someone is not getting proper treatment from the right qualified person, their life could hang in the balance. Somebody who has experienced major trauma in their past or sexual abuse and, and to have that re-stimulated because the person they are working with either doesn't know what they're doing or crosses some kind of an ethical line such as getting enmeshed or having an intimate relationship, I think that that's dangerous. I think that as coaches, we have an obligation to behave in ways that are ethical. And part of behaving ethically means recognizing our own limits. Now, I'm going to come back to this proof in the pudding via client validation piece. There are absolutely clients out there who will credit the coach that they work with on something that is much more specialized as being the person who gave them like the answer or the way, the person who finally helped them to get out of some kind of a long-term struggle that they had been in. But the entire reason that I read that piece, Ditch Your Dogma, which was originally on yourcourageouslife.com at the beginning of this podcast, is to point out that all of the different self-help roads lead into one. So if a coach is going into that really specialized terrain that they actually haven't had the training to go into, one thing that's problematic is that those coaches hear their clients say, you have provided me with some kind of a result that I didn't get anywhere else. And then that becomes the justification to that coach that they are in fact doing something that's okay. And that in and of itself is yet another ethical, sticky terrain because it's not the one coach who is responsible for the client's breakthrough. And in fact, there never is really a quote-unquote breakthrough. There's always a series of opening, of learning, of confronting challenges, of figuring things out anew. There's no coach out there who can ever give someone an experience of having healed or transformed to some degree that they never again experience any of the things that they used to struggle with. Life doesn't work that way. 
And how we learn and change and grow as humans doesn't work that way either. So in this Craft of Coaching podcast, I think that we as coaches need to really take an ethical stand for our industry. And part of that ethical stand, and it gives us credibility to do this, is to really be clear that work that is so specialized with a client that if it goes wrong, (laughs) could potentially harm the client, that is just not within the purview of coaching. For sure, there are therapists who have undergone that additional kind of work and then they integrate coaching or they become coaches. That's a whole different situation. But someone who has only a coaching-specific background really should not be doing the work ethically of working with people who could be harmed by the fact that that coach doesn't have the specialized training, doesn't have the oversight, doesn't have the collegial network, doesn't have the mentorship. And we all as coaches need to be very clear in saying, hey, you know, we want this industry to be treated with credibility. We want to be really, really clear that we always act in the best interests of our clients. That's what it looks like to practice integrity. And it has to start with us. And it has to start with our professional boundaries. And it has to start with our commitment to always keeping what's best for a client at the center of the work that we do. All right, that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you have a moment to give us a rating in iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast, uh, so helpful because that helps other people to learn about this podcast and also listen in. You might also want to become a subscriber so that you always get the latest episodes. If you head over to the Courageous Living Coach Certification website at teamclcc.com, that's T-E-A-M-C-L-C-C.com, and sign up to be a subscriber, not only will you get the first information about whenever we open up enrollment, you will also get access to a number of bonuses, like our Become a Coach video series, invitations to webinars on the craft of coaching, and so much more. So I hope that I see you over there. Once again, thanks so much for listening. And I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day.